It's time for Talking Pictures Trivia! A quick friendly reminder. It wasn't Matthew McConaughey in Sweet Home Alabama, but that guy sure did look like him. Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of geographically challenged friends explore movies through trivia as an excuse to keep their friendships alive. I'm one of these friends of today's host, Nick, and with me is... Tom... And KJ. Great to have you back, as always. Additionally, joining us as a guest for this episode is... Ragnar. Thanks for joining us, Ragnar. Ragnar and KJ, well, they still were teachers together in Japan. Ragnar is currently selling houses in the New Orleans area. Feel free to give him a call if you're thinking of buying or selling your house. Also, follow Ragnar's Dog Saga on Facebook. Ragnar conveniently continues to like movies. For those joining us for the first time, we start off each episode with a movie quiz, as these pivotal questions will determine who earns today's trivia crown. Then, once the fierce competition is over, we follow it up with our famous movie rant, Where Anything Goes. KJ, tell us about today's movie. Today, we are going back to 2017. People gathered in Kentucky to watch a full solar eclipse, but otherwise, by all accounts, it looked like 2017 was a rough year. Despite that, Legendary Pictures Productions released their second movie in what they call the MonsterVerse. The movie, Kong, Skull Island. Directed by Jordan Vaught Roberts, who only had one other feature film under his belt, not the Kongs of Summer, but the Kings of Summer. Kong was in theaters with Logan, the first R-rated X-Men movie, John Wick 2, Jordan Peele's Get Out, and Disney's live-action Beauty and the Beast. Nick will be quizzing us today. Nick, tell us about Kong. This is a movie that I thought was going to be a first watch for me, but after careful viewing, I realized I had already watched this movie once before. So, KJ, thank you for the recommendation, but it seems like it's something that I had to revisit. And I did enjoy this film. This movie is about an expedition going to a previously undiscovered island called Skull Island. And a few of the different parties have different objectives of why they're visiting this island. John Goodman's character wants to justify that he thinks that there are supernatural creatures amongst us. And the party goes to the island and what do you know, there is a giant gorilla, perhaps by the name of Kong. An adventure ensues, we figure out who's really the good guys, the bad guys, the good creatures, the bad creatures. And we're along for the ride. Tom, if you only had one word to describe Kong Skull Island, what would it be? Heart. KJ, what would your word be? Natural fit. Ragnar? War. Huh. I think that's <laughs> two words. Yeah, but what are they good for? <laughs> <laughs> and my word would be guardian. It's time for question one. How many soldiers were killed by King Kong? Was that information available in the movie? <laughs> yeah. There were, uh, you saw every single one of them. <laughs> really? Okay. <laughs> wow. Locked in? So the scientists don't count. Exactly. Exactly. Trick question. Yeah. Okay. Uh, locked in? Locked in. We're going to play. Price is right rules, so the closest without going over. Ragnar, how many soldiers? Without a doubt, nine. Nine? Their room was full. Oh, all right, nine. <laughs> Ragnar has nine. Tom? I went with 13. <laughs> I think that's wrong, but whatever. KJ! I wrote down 26. If there was only nine, they wouldn't even have enough pilots for the choppers. I, I, and there was I, tons of soldiers in the choppers. I counted 13 helicopters. I actually paused the movie to see the helicopters. I could be wrong about that. It could be just that one shot only had 13. But... 13 and what? Maybe six survived. So it wasn't, there was... I, I, well, we'll yeah, see. let's... Nick we will probably see. tell us. <laughs> no one would hope. The points go to none other than, uh-oh, starting off strong, KJ. The actual amount of soldiers that were killed 
if you count every single one and what would be in the helicopter, 41. Wow. 41 soldiers were killed either via helicopter crashes, wow. falling off helicopters, being eaten, crushed, or just generically killed. The trick to this one was Steve Woodward was crushed by King Kong. However, he was a Landsat person, not a soldier. So you might have guessed 42. Oh, yeah, we were we, 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 we were real close to guessing. That. <laughs> I was counting the dog tags. Oh, that's a good oh, one. Okay. They may not have all been recovered. The reason I brought this one up, one, because it's arbitrary and random but i also thought they had an indispensable amount of soldiers at their disposal like whenever they needed soldiers dead there would be more soldiers that weren't the handful or two of people we met in the beginning so there just was just random amounts i couldn't believe how many soldiers just would show up i thought it was like a few helicopters okay we got our main characters no there was a lot of accompanying uh military that did not have a good day but the real reason I brought this one up was, let's talk about the opening, the arrival to the island, and the intro to Kong. I bring this up because I will say that I think that this movie started off extremely strong. I enjoyed the opening, and I enjoyed the intro to the island. In fact, those were, interestingly, my favorite parts of this movie. I actually thought the movie kind of flattened out a little after that, not saying it wasn't an enjoyable watch. I agree 100%. The movie starts off very strong and visually arresting. Like there's just some, the, the, the color palette is done really well. Um, and there's just some scenes that really take your breath away. In particular, when the helicopters see Kong for the first time and there's this sunset, sunrise, the, the, the way the sun worked in this movie was a little bit weird because then the sun went back to high noon right after the scene. But there's the sun is setting or rising behind Kong and the helicopters are going towards him. Absolutely stunning. And you're absolutely right. I think it's the highlight of the movie. So this Kong movie was a little bit different than other ones in that we get to see Kong in the prologue. So we see him way earlier. That mystery is gone. We know what he looks like. We know what we're up against, unlike previous Kong movies. Um, however, most Kong movies, I like the movie until Kong shows up. I think that suspension and buildup is the fun part of these movies. Once you break it with the special effects of the day, I think the movies kind of fall apart. But I thought Skull Island differentiated itself from the other Kong movies with something that kept me watching, whether it was that Vietnam War movie soundtrack, whether it was um, just having fun with John C. Riley, whatever it was, I thought, yes, it was flat, but it was way better than the other Kong movies after Kong showed up. I I enjoyed the beginning too, and I think it it's photographically maybe the most interesting. Like you were saying, Ragnar, um, I, I agree with you, KJ. It, it is it's a good observation too that we see Kong almost immediately in this movie, and I think part of that is is first of all the the suspense really is. Kong versus Godzilla, like this whole movie is is lurching towards a kind of monster mashup. And so Kong is not rarefied in the same way he is in the 76 film or in the 32 film, um, you know, or or in their sequels. Uh, yeah. So so I thought that was I thought that was interesting that we see him right away. I I don't know if I found it flat in the in the beginning or in the rest of it. Um, I I think what happened to me when I first watched it was I was a little disoriented. Um, we have sort of three different locations we're dealing with. We're dealing with the tracker. We're dealing with that guy, uh, Chapman, who kind of looks like Nick Jonas. And then we're dealing with the Samuel L. Jackson group. Um, and it, it feels somewhat arbitrary, like the Chapman plotline feels somewhat arbitrary. I, I'm not entirely sure what he's, how he's helping the plot along or, or you know, why we have him there. He's kind of an excuse for Samuel L. Jackson to hide his, his bloodthirst, right? Um, and so while I, I enjoyed a lot of the middle section, um, I, I do see what you say when you, you say it feels flat. I think there's like parts of it that don't seem to really anticlimactic. There's actually yeah. a lot of scenes like that that don't pay off. Like when, uh, when, um, Shay Wiggins character sacrifices himself 
um, which just doesn't work. It made no forever. sense. Yeah. And so you, no it's very, but there's a few scenes like, or like when, um, when Mason played by Brie Larson shoots the flare into the monster and it's it, the, the scene, it sets there. Um, you see her bravely hold the flare up. She shoots it. It hits the monster right on target. It, it bursts into smoke. And then the scene just continues. You know, th there's moments like this that don't, that have set up without real payoff. Um, it's very odd. So I see what you're saying. But I do think it is interesting that, like what you're saying, KJ, that it's not about the suspense of meeting Kong. That's sort of inferred. And it's not about the special effects of the day. They almost realize we are, we are so involved in the special effects at this point that the new CGI thing is just going to have to be excellent. And that's taken for granted. It doesn't have this sort of um, carnival feel of the the 1932 film. That is true. It, it is still a showcase of the special effects of today, but they're not on show, or they don't feel as much on show as the the other the the 76 and the 33. Mm -hmm. To that point, yeah. I didn't think like, wow, look at the graphics and the special effects that they made this giant gorilla. I just took it for granted. Like that's where we are now. Yeah. Whereas back in time, yeah, a little more work. <laughs> Kong is still glorious. Uh, you know, he's he's in all three of these film adaptations, and I think in the Peter Jackson one too, which I think is unfairly maligned. I'll I'll defend that movie tepidly, at least. Um, I think it's it's better than what the critics say. I think they were just out for Jackson's blood for you know for his success earlier on. Um, you know, I, I think in all of those films, each one gets a really lovable ape <laughs> you know he's I, I find him actually i find kong actually quite endearing in all four of those movies uh you know regardless of of how he's put on my favorite thing about kong in this portrayal is how he is presented as the guardian so he's not just some mindless big ape okay he has a purpose and he's actually there to protect some of the smaller creatures on that specific island. So he has a higher purpose and his role is to really keep out the true dangers, the true monsters that lurk below. So I, I really enjoy that. And I also know even the scale of Kong in this one, they're setting up for the soon to be released, you know, uh, Godzilla versus Kong. But I do like how they tried to create a plot or to do some world building to somewhat support it. Yes, it's a little weird when they talk about the hollow earth and that's where all them, all the biggie batted creatures live. But okay, I'll buy into it if Kong's there to protect us. Yeah, it, it's fine. You know what I mean? I, I think the, uh, have, has anybody seen the other movies in this particular cinematic universe? In the MonsterVerse? Yeah. Yeah, in the MonsterVerse. Yeah. Yeah, yep. they, they're kind of painful. <laughs> this movie is a, a, a welcome change from, from those other pictures. And the Hollow Earth stuff keeps coming up, and it, it's, um, it gets real stupid in the, in the more Godzilla King of the Monsters movie. <laughs> you know, it's where it's kind of hard to buy. Yeah. It's more fun in the 70s than in today, right? Like it's... Well, yeah, it's in the, in the other movies too. They just like kill millions of people, and then it, you know, whatever. Anyway, and let's not go into that because you know that's, I have problems. But that's why yeah. we watched this movie. So I wanted to watch something that tied into <laughs> that. And as I said mm -hmm. earlier in the intro, KJ recommended this one, and I thought that'd be a great recommendation. Not realizing I had already seen it, so that's why we wanted this because I think it's the best of this. Monsterverse? Is that what it's being referred to? That's what Wikipedia said, okay. yeah. Mm -hmm. It's time for question two. What was the stranded American pilot Hank Marlowe's response to James Conrad's response about who won the war? Locked in. Locked in. Oh. Locked in. Start us up, Ragnar. The response was, which one? Just to be clear and to give in case, Ragnar, are you, do you want John C. Riley's response or do you want let's, let's, uh, Dr. Grant's let's response? Re, let's revisit the question. What was the stranded American pilot Hank Barlow's response to James Conrad's response about who won the war? <laughs> I, I would have 
them uh, something positive like uh, Yahoo, we won. Okay. Tom? <laughs> nice. That makes sense. KJ? Yeah, I'm with Tom. Uh, you know, John C. Riley's been straight on the island. He goes, so who won the war, by the way? And then the guy that's similar to Dr. Grant in Jurassic Park says, which one? Which doesn't make sense at that point because the answer is the same, right? Like the only wars John C. Riley could be talking about had the same victor at that point. No, not no. really. You had Wait, Vietnam, Vietnam, you had Korea. Vietnam War had just finished. So John C. Riley probably wasn't talking about that one. Well, he, the joke still works. from World War II. Yeah, the, because there's three wars. They don't. He doesn't know which one he's referring to. But he knows which one he belongs to. So it's well, but it could be the Revolutionary War, War of eighteen twelve, Civil War. No, 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 no. no, no. In between wars. his war and present time, KJ. <laughs> but why would John I C. Riley think he's asking him more- who won exactly. the War of eighteen twelve? Did we get the redcoats? <laughs> KJ has a point. Skull Island trivia. <laughs> KJ is an engineer. <laughs> Not a historian. Mm. <laughs> I guess that's true. KJ's right. <laughs> that makes sense. Okay. The points go to Tom and KJ. The exact interaction, and KJ is pretty spot on. Hey, what happened with the war? Did we win? Which is replied, which one? And then the actual line is, uh-huh, that makes sense. And the reason I brought up this arbitrary event that happened in the movie <laughs> is it opened the door for me to talk about the portrayal of humanity in general. We could talk about the specific characters in this movie or the greater world around them. All, all three of these, um, you know, all of these films, what King Kong is about is kind of uh, humans going into the unknown supplied with some sort of, um, you know, kind of modern concept or modern knowledge modern gear modern knowledge what i mean by modern gear is is not so much like the the physical stuff but this sort of like like post-enlightenment understanding of the world right the the world is mappable it's knowable it's it's empirically definable and rationally describable um and what you get in the uh the the 1930s one is um you know going into kind of going into the unknown to do something for entertainment, right? This kind of uh, big scale cinema thing, which is at this point a new technology, right? Especially the full length movie is less than around 20 years old at the, uh, at the point in which the first King Kong is made. In the, the late 70s, when the 76 one you have, it's about oil, about finding oil. These people are going there to get oil and they're going into the unknown for that. And for this, it's... Um, they're going to solve this mystery, but also behind it, there is um, the wars of man, right? There, there's this kind of highly mechanized society. There's this Cold War going on, which is sparked by these, these nuclear missiles held by these two superpowers. Um, and so you have these really kind of modern setups, these modern people who are going into, into darkness, right? You know, and it's, it's in part a heart of darkness story you know which which tells the story of Marlowe going in to find Kurtz um, in in Africa and coming across something that his his rational brain really can't define or or contain or hold now what's different here in in I think these films is that you know Kong is actually really kind right I mean he's he's not kind but he's um, he's relatable, right? He isn't the alien other that we get with the, the tribes people of Heart of Darkness. He's he's accessible. He's kind of like a teenage boy in some of these movies. He's kind of like r- really excited by the woman, and uh, you know, uh, and gets really wide eyed and things like that. And so I think the the betrayal of of humanity is sort of Heart of Darkness like. It's it's the limits of rationale. But it's it's also kinder than that, and in a in a kind of metatextual framework, um, the spectacle that the movie is sort of critiquing, or these movies sort of critique, the kind of Kong legend sort of critiques, is ironically enough the thing that's driving people to the box office to see the movies, and so the movies themselves are demonstrations of the kind of um, 
kind of scientific advancement in at least the entertainment field. So there's this kind of interesting contradiction in the actual watching of the movie. There's um there's one throwaway line that John C. Riley has uh, when he's talking about the natives. He says, oh, these people are on another level or something like uh, they live a lot longer. There's no war. There's no. And I, I you know, I always thought everybody's got to love the idea of a nirvana or a utopia. Right. But even what I liked about the movie, the way it displayed that utopia was not a place that I would particularly want to, to live forever like you know maybe to visit or something but so I kind of liked that it and I'm giving the movie way more credit than it deserves but it showed you a utopia but made you not want to go there which if there was a utopia that might that might be a real representation of a utopia would you know what utopia translates to in Greek I don't no place it's you know Thomas Moore came up with the his book Utopia from the 16th century is a description of a, a place that, you know, doesn't exist, is nowhere. And he's sort of um, somewhat satirizing in that book, the concept of utopia, right? It's, it's a no place. It's a place we can never get to. Uh, and so, you know, that, that's, that's an interesting factor in this as well, which is there is this sort of Rousseauian return to nature thing where it's like, uh, you know, man is born free, but everywhere he is in chains, the sort of society corrupts this type thing. But like you're saying, KJ, everything in that damn island yeah, yeah. kills you, right? Utopia, <laughs> utopia is awful, you know? <laughs> we could live a lot longer if like a like um, spider animal doesn't step on you or something like that. Well, as long as you have a giant gorilla guardian and you stay behind the, the wall, you're okay. It's when you venture out into the uh, mm -hmm. skull crawlers territory. <laughs> I've been thinking about the, this trilogy, which is at, at this point, it's three movies, um, and thinking about how humanity is portrayed in pretty much all of them. <clears throat> and it seems that we're, we're, we are always portrayed as intruders. You know, we're always going somewhere we don't belong. We assume that we're gonna be the top of the food chain because that's where we are everywhere else. And then we get humbled very quickly and very powerfully by these greater monsters. Um, so like in, in this film, we have pretty much tapped out our resources in that, you know, everything has been discovered and everything is being fought over uh, between either the Russians or the Americans. And so there's this one last island that is up for grabs. And that's what motivates the politicians to green light uh, the project and, and why most of everybody there is going. So it is about kind of humanity being humbled, it seems in a way. So, but, but even that, I think it's a little bit confusing because then these guardians that these monsters are then trying to protect us as, as well. You know, Kong protects uh, the Brie Larson character. Uh, Godzilla does not, or tries his best not to step on any humans for the most part. Uh, so I, I think it's kind of a confusing portrayal of humanity in this film. I, I feel it puts humanity back into the natural order. It puts humanity back into a hierarchy. And the project of the Enlightenment, at, at least in part, you know, this is, this is uh, what Immanuel Kant writes at the beginning of what is the Enlightenment, is kind of the, the freedom from tutelage, right? It's almost like the freedom from hierarchy. And this is a movie in which and all of the movies, all three of the films, and I imagine the fourth one as well, situate humanity as something um, that is, that is, as you said, Ragnar, an intruder in this world in the sense that they have not necessarily that they don't belong here, but that they've taken the top spot in a hierarchy and they don't really belong there. And so a lot of these, these three movies are about either man being pushed back down or you know, in the case of the Kong movie, kind of recognizing that all of his knowledge isn't really going to keep him on top. You know, right. maybe when he goes back to the, the real world in, in the 19, in 1973. But, you know, now you know that this is their world. Um, That's a good point. Nice. So I guess instead of intruding, because that would seem like we're outside, we're disturbers, we're disturbing the natural order. Yeah, exactly. Which is what, which is the Kong, King of the Monster, King of the king of the hill the movie is about they say that like 80 times in that movie at the end of round one 
Thomas in the lead with two points. No KJ way, has Jose. One. No oh, way, Jose. KJ's got, got a. I think you're winning, right? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Old habits die hard. <laughs> <laughs> After round one, KJ is in the lead with two points. Tom has one point. And Ragnar is here with us today. We'll be right back after this quick message. Tom here from Talking Pictures Trivia. And today we have a new exciting ad from a new sponsor, Tipito. Wanna fly? Tipito knows the air. Wanna get ahead in your career? Tipito is in your corner. Want to ask her out? Tipito can give you the courage. Want to learn to surf? Tipito can help you ride the waves. Want to hang glide like a master but don't have the time? Tipito can bring you the air. Want to see the Middle Ages? Tipito can bring you there. Want to change the weather? Tipito can make it rain. Want to desalinate the ocean? Tipito can quench your thirst. Want to die and resurrect just for the thrill? Tipito can bring you back from the grave. Want to travel through the nine realms of Satan untouched by the damned? Tipito can be your guide. Or if you just want to learn how to cook, Tipito can give you the spices. Tipito. Because you desire to imagine living the life you imagined living. And we're back. Ragnar, we're at that critical moment of our episode where we ask the guest a question. If you could watch this movie with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be? Absolutely. This is my favorite part. Now, I'm pronouncing, maybe pronouncing his name incorrectly, but uh, Marion Cooper. Uh, who is the director, or one of the two directors of the original uh, 30s version of Kong. <clears throat> that's, uh, that's the person I would choose to, to watch this movie with because it seems like there's such a time gap between his movie and Kong Skull Island. And I would like him to see how far uh, the technology has come um, and then get his opinion on if he feels that has improved storytelling or, or, or not. Um, and, and I'm not one to look back at old films with, you know, rosy glasses or, rose, I don't know the idiom, but I, I don't idolize old films just because they're old. I have seen the, 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 the 1930s Kong, 1933 Kong, and I think it suffers from the same problems that a lot of modern films suffer from. And that's a thin plot, thin characters, and it's a vehicle for special effects. Um, and so, it's interesting for me to see how the technology has changed, but the storytelling is, is the same for good and bad. And I'm just curious to get uh, that director's opinions. Yeah, that would be really cool. Uh, it might be tough to explain helicopters and, you know, the radios and all. Like, <laughs> I had radios I in the thirties in 33. Yeah, I think just, they had helicopters. Da Vinci just, was yeah. drawing helicopters back in the yeah. day. They had planes. They had, they had radios. There was a plane shooting at telephones. him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Again, KJ's the historian of the group. World War One. They had planes in World I, War One. Yeah, so. they had planes. Yeah, but radios were the thirties. I'm pretty sure. That was uh, yeah, that was like nylon and radios were around the same time i'm pretty but but anyway I, I i often think wouldn't it be cool to grab something from the past but i feel like you'd have a lot of explaining to do right like you'd be like he'd be like he'd either he'd either do exactly what you want right now and be like yeah you're right that story's a little thin and you, you know samuel jackson's character he's dealing with stuff but eh, does he change that much <laughs> um or he'd just be like wait a minute how did they get the buttons on that clothes so well? Like those pockets work amazingly. Like it would be some weird technology that we don't even think of that he would be blown right. away by, you know. That, like a small, tiny thing that for them blows their mind. Yeah. Like a light switch would be to someone before electricity. Yep, yep. I got to pick on KJ here a little bit. Radio historians generally agree that broadcasting for the public began in 1920 with a broadcast on station, blah, 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 between 1923 and 1930. 
about 60% of American families had. Okay, okay, okay. The battery that was powering the portable radio. (laughs) The (laughs) trans, he didn't see the transistors. Turn in your engineering degree. (laughs) Oh my God. I think we're going to jump in. (laughs) It's time for question three. You guys are going to love this one. This is a throwback. What do you think that I think was the corniest death in the film? Big two points on the board for this one. Uh, I'm, I'm going to lock in. I think I know what it is. Locked in, yeah, Tom. I, I, this used to happen back in the day, too, where the answer kind of comes up and you can kind of get a reading. And Yeah. Um, I'm right. Um, yep. Ragnar's at a disadvantage, I think. Mm-hmm. Or is he? It's the balance. Do you get the points, but have to spend your life knowing Nick? <laughs> you know, or, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Small if I get it right, thing. I can get three points. Ragnar's been on this podcast enough, I think, to get some of our sensibilities here, you know? That's why I felt safe. I thought this would be a safe one, you know? Lock in. <laughs> a Ragnar. So... This one's a hard one. I'm at a disadvantage, as, as your friends have said. So I'm thinking about all the deaths seem to have been people getting stomped on. That's like the major thing. So there were two that kind of, I thought, were different from the rest. One was the grenade suicide, as that I'm calling it, because I can't think of that character's name. He sacrificed himself with a grenade. But the one that's most different is the one that was off camera. Uh, which was, I think, Chapman. He turns around and you just see the monster coming at him. Maybe that's the one you think is most lame because that's the one that's the most different from this guy getting stomped, this guy getting crushed. That's my reasoning. I think Ragnar should get two answers because of the handicap of knowing Nick. I like (laughs) that, right? I I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Moving on, I think it was KJ? Yeah, um, the platoon homage death that Ragnar mentioned. That's mine as well. Shay Wiggins, I think is the name of the actor, gets gets he goes to sacrifice himself and just gets whipped into a rock. <laughs> I have no idea what it's doing in the movie, but whatever. I think that was pretty lame. It was lame. Especially his character was pretty good. He's a good actor. He was in a Boardwalk Empire forever. He was uh what's his name's brother? He's in a lot of things. Um Enoch, right? He was in Homeland with uh, Julia Roberts. A lot of things. He, he's he's a working actor. The points go to no one. Wow. Can I make wow. a guess? I'm going to guess it's the spider death. Wow. No? I will let everyone have a follow-up. Okay. That's my guess. follow-up guess. And the and the, the points, if you get it, the points will go to you. Yeah. The, 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 the corniest, right? This is the corniest. 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 Okay. Oh, corniest. Uh, I guess John Goodman's dead since it was, he was kind of a big character and then gets killed off so suddenly. And then the flashing lights was just kind of like, what the heck? I actually kind of like that. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, what was, there was the, the guy on the boat that didn't want to go because it was raining and John Goodman's like, Oh, you're going to cancel this because of the rain. And then that's on like the real boat. And then when they're on the Island, they're on the, um, the plane boat, the plot. And he gets picked off by something flying after this kind of like happy relax. Like, ah, oh, finally, we're, we see the light at the end of the tunnel. Yoink. Maybe that's a yeet. I don't know. It's kind of a new word. Well, the points for this question after the second round of answers will go to none other than KJ. Yeah. I knew you had that when that, you said it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so. John Goodman's death was also a consideration because it is just kind of like, what? Okay, fine, whatever. But the character's name was called Victor Neves. And he, he was killed by creatures that are referred to as psycho vultures. In case you were curious what their name was, they are called psycho vultures. And what I love or laughed at with this scene is, they're all celebrating because they're going to get together with the other soldiers and they're all happy. And all of a sudden these psycho vultures come to pick him up, drag him out. And there's multiple birds pulling him apart and his arm rips off. And James Conrad just goes, 
he's gone. <laughs> like we didn't realize he was gone when he was getting ripped limb <laughs> from limb apart. I'm like, thanks for that context clue. <laughs> so the re- it took a while to us to get the answer here. But the reason I brought this up is we're talking a lot about what the movie did right. I want to know what the movie did wrong. Okay. What were the areas that we thought it fell short on? I've seen this movie five or six times. Um, I, I don't know if it's a guilty pleasure, but I, I'll put it on. You know, I, we watched for the show. I watched it recently to show my daughters. I watch it back in the day and then immediately watch it again. But the last 20 minutes, and hopefully this, well, it's actually a runaway, so it doesn't matter. But hopefully the question doesn't come from there. The last 20 minutes, I don't think I'm able to stay awake from. That last big, I'm assuming it's a big action scene. I, I just, I, I'm, I'm bored. I'm tired because of all the, the visuals and everything. And I literally fall asleep and then have to either go back and watch it or just, it doesn't really matter, right? It's whatever. And I always wake back up for that amazing John C. Riley scene at the, at the very end. But um, I, I don't, I, I think the fights were nothing special. Yeah, I, I agree 100% with you, KJ. And I think there's a, the reason for it is because they, they're focusing on the wrong things. You, you get bored, I got bored because we don't care. Why don't we care when a giant monkey is fighting giant monsters with characters that we supposedly like? And I think it's because they had, they did start with interesting characters with Samuel L. Jackson, John C. Riley, and even Grenade Suicide Man was somewhat interesting. But what did they focus on instead? The two characters, uh, the Dr. Grant that you keep calling him, and the, the reporter who are Conrad and Mason, yeah. Conrad and Mason that have no purpose, no point, no development whatsoever. They're just beautiful people. And I just didn't care about them. I didn't care at all. And then it, what's more exciting than the monkeys, than the giant ape fighting dinosaurs. It was just a quiet moment with an interesting character. John C. Riley's scene at the end is the best part of the movie. Mm-hmm. Why? Yeah. Because it's the character we like. Just to give you a little bit more background on that, they did actually have some character development for those two characters, Conrad and Mason, and guess what? They got cut. <laughs> so there probably was more stuff that they were going to. And then they're like, okay, we have this whole party together. Let's just keep going. And, and I think that's why I felt it had a very linear approach because most of the characters were extremely one-dimensional. I'll just throw out my thing that I think they got wrong is the main, I guess, antagonist aside from the skull crawlers, Sam Jackson's character, Lieutenant Colonel Preston Packard. I just, once the movie got moving, I just wasn't buying into his motivation. I I know why, but it it was very one dimensional and it just was, I I know it was a plot device. It just wasn't compelling to me. And I think that's why after such a strong start to the movie, or at least the, the launch on the island, I was disappointed as it kept going. Not so much that I was going to shut it off, but it has a weird peak. The peak was in a different, it was earlier in the film. I, I don't know. I, we touched upon this a little bit in our, um, our Star Wars episode where we had the question about the clones being made for the war and what if the war ends. And I, I think this is kind of an answer to that question, right? Samuel L. Jackson is a soldier. And what do you do when what you are good at and how you define yourself is lost, right? It's like Jamie Lannister losing his hand. Like you, you oh, sorry, spoilers, Game of Thrones or Song of Ice Fire. <laughs> but I, I, I think through and through, like I, I'm glad he didn't change, right? If he had a redemption arc, that would have been really strange. Kong caused <laughs> yeah. a soldier to evaluate <laughs> his life. Like that, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, he does have, I mean, at least he does have an arc. I, 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 I mean, I see where you're coming from, Nick. I, I at least Samuel had Jackson had something we could hang our, our coat on. Um, the, I mean, I, I completely agree though. The, uh, the having Conrad and Mason there, I mean, you need leads and we like them in the sense that they are attractive people who are competent. They are both competent and they're both on the right side, ethically speaking, but they, you know, they don't really change at all. They, they don't, there's, there's nothing, what, what's odd about this movie is in the, the other movies have something like sex appeal in them. Um, both of them, the, the, the 32 and the 76, have you know an attractive woman at the center and there's an attraction that Kong has for this woman. 
and we kind of get it like like just if you haven't seen the 76 version jessica lang is about as sexy as a human being can be in that movie she like she's unconscious at one point and she wakes up and it's this like full body lush you know arisal into into consciousness it's actually an incredible scene for like a king kong movie then this movie has none of that sexuality um and you know uh, brie larson's a, a very attractive woman i'm sure she could be sexy and I, I guess they want um someone who is who's female and who is not defined by her her kind of uh sexual persona that type of thing they're, they're looking for maybe something more progressive in terms of their female lead and and fair enough but you have like but taking out that kind of uh, sex appeal from the film and not filling it with anything you know what i mean she, there's nothing else there other than she's a competent photographer and she's good at hiding under bones when when lizards attack her i mean there's nothing really else we don't know anything else about her other than she's anti-war, which justifies her being angry at at Pritchard for uh, attempting to kill Kong, and so we really don't that that kind of heightened sexual aspect that's in earlier pictures is missing and not replaced. I think that's based on the times we live in now too. It's it was very big on the strong independent woman, and maybe they didn't want to play into that. There was a scene where he does save her. So I think they were trying to make an homage to that prior portrayal, but they had a different angle to it. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. I mean, like he saves her and he kind of picks her up and looks at her, but there's really no connection between her and the and the ape, the way they are in it's early true. films. And it, it doesn't it's true. be sexual, mm -hmm. right? It can be, that is how he sees, that's the embodiment of the thing he needs to keep, to protect, right? If he's the archetype of the protector, Kong is, and then she's the archetype of of the helpless one, even if she isn't really right. She's, you know, a, a woman who's been in in the war zone for for years and years. She's a perfectly capable person. However, you know, when you zoom out to Kong level, things become archetypes, and that's fine. We can zoom out and zoom back in. Um, but those moments aren't really developed ever. He kind of picks her up. He looks at her. He thinks she's sweet. Then we move on. He he's not. Um, invested in her in the way that earlier Kongs are invested in Jessica Lange or, uh, or, or Fay Ray. And Naomi Watts. And Naomi Watts, exactly. Yeah, and Naomi Watts. Mm -hmm. It's time for question four. After the expedition arrives on Skull Island, what is the event that confirms there is something supernatural present? The first time we know this as an audience locked in is it is it supernatural or or weird we know something is out of the ordinary now on this island okay i i'm i'm gonna lock in with something um i'm i'm not sure if this is what you want but i'm i can't win right so <laughs> kind of house money type situation i'm locked in but nick i don't have your eagle eyes i i don't know locked in ragnar the first time <clears throat> as an audience member you realize something's not right besides the name of the movie and the poster and everything is, <laughs> <laughs> Subtle is, hints. When, <laughs> is when the helicopters are flying by and the and the and the, and the driver the, the, the pilot looks up and sees a palm tree flying in midair and you think palm trees aren't supposed to be in midair so that's when I realized mm -mm, something's wrong in this island. Okay, Tom? That was what I was going to say. But before then, when they drop bombs, they get confirmation of the hollow earth theory. And so that, that does happen before the palm tree disaster. Uh, I, I don't know if that counts as supernatural, um, but I'm going to go with that because it does happen before the palm tree. KJ? I think the audience sees these, I'm going to call them antelope for lack of a better word, and they're not uniform. I think a few of them may be uh, mutated for lack of a better word, and that may be the first time as the audience you can tell that this island isn't uh, something familiar. Well, KJ, it's good you already have the most amount of points because the points are actually going to go to Tom and Ragnar. My answer was 
the palm tree through the helicopter because I thought that was an amazing introduction to Kong in their present day 70s, not the first time we see Kong. I thought that was a great start to that whole sequence. But I have to give the points to Tom as well because I did not think of that. That is the first time we know that something is off because the world does not work that way, <laughs> where there is hollowness under everything. So Tom will get the points there. Everyone who's not in contention to win gets points in this uh, for this question. But the reason I brought this one up is I wanted to talk, flip the script and go back to what we really thought this movie did well. Last question, what was missing? What did we really think shined about this movie? And the palm tree through the helicopter was the beginning of a good time for me in that opening sequence. Well, not, I shouldn't say opening sequence, the arrival, the intro to Kong. Dear Billy, I really like the soundtrack. It was a good soundtrack. The soundtrack was great. And the, the camaraderie was a perfect amount of cheese ball, corn ball, right? They, I mean, we did Super Troopers and they kind of had that same thing, right? The, the soldiers were having trouble with their names because they really, they weren't all separate characters. They were just kind of the soldiers. And I, I liked their brotherhood. I liked their, uh, how they gelled. Yeah, I like in the beginning when they, when he's like, how many letters did you send? I, I sent like, uh, two or three a week. How many did you get back? Uh, I don't know. Two or three. Uh, your mom sucks. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think they did that well. Um, you know, they they were they were very funny. Uh, they they seem to you know they seem to be a group of soldiers who who've been in it together. Um, and also, just Kong is glorious. These these movies tend to do Kong very well. And I haven't seen the Kong versus whatever movies. I think there's two of them. There's one where Kong fights Godzilla and one where Kong fights a giant metal Kong. Uh, I, I have seen neither of them. I think Not the new Godzilla. No, there's, Kong. there's two before in which Kong is, is fighting. Both of them are, are Honda movies, right? I think both of Honda's directed both of them. You know, the, the ape is, is great in this. He's, you know, um, this, this kind of glorious animal who has you know all the, the kind of human features and and that's true in all of them i think the you know um the, the peter jackson one is maybe a little more has a little more characterization than this one because uh, we spent a lot more time with the ape as a person um the, the 76 one he's a little more pathetic he's a little more wide-eyed uh you know the, the the 32 one is he's a little more rage um but each one you know, it seems if we think of the ape as if we think of Kong as kind of, you know, the archetype of like just the kind of brute male masculine energy, you know, like testosterone distilled, um, you know, each one of these movies seems to give us a different character or, or a different angle to understanding that archetype. And I, I think this movie contributed to that and, and did it in a glorious way. I think that was a great ape. I don't always bring up marketing material, but I have to say the movie poster is fabulous. The colors, the portrayal of the soldiers and the helicopters and Big Kong in front of the uh, sun with the red behind. Oh, it, it, it is beautiful. I don't know. Is that a sunset or a sunrise? I'm, I'm not sure. Sunrise? Hey. Who knows? It has but to it be looks gorgeous. The subsequent scenes, the sun's already like at high noon. Okay. Well, they also weren't walking through the water with helicopters. But needless to say, it was a really cool movie poster. I, I just jumped out at me. I really liked it. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to piggyback on, on what you said, Nick, because uh, the that scene with the palm tree and the subsequent action uh, is, I think, really well done because it they they have a great balance of chaos where you're disoriented. You don't know what's going on but they pull back so that you're aware of the situation. So at moments you feel like you're in a helicopter crashing and the camera work does that. And at other times it pulls back so you can clearly see what is happening. So that balance of confusion and, and, and clarity was really well done. And I think it really put us in a seat of what it's like to go face to face with Kong. And uh, just a shout out to the cinematographer who I think did a phenomenal job. I think it was the highlight of the movie. Um, and he has done other work um, for uh, Zack Snyder, uh, 300 and um, 
some other great films. So Watchmen, which he did, I thought was also very strong. So great camera work and really good action in the first half. I really feel like they had an idea for that scene and was like, how do we make a movie around this? Absolutely. Because that that is the movie to me. I can cut yeah. out almost the rest and really enjoy that sequence and cut cut it into a short film, okay? I really enjoyed that whole sequence. Highlight, definitely. And that's weird why I was saying everything was shifted because my highlight is very early on in the movie. Yeah, I, I one of my favorite cuts there is uh, when they first go into the storm that surrounds the island, there's a quick cut to a Richard Nixon bobblehead and as the as the helicopter is going down, they cut back to that bobblehead very very quickly, and that made me laugh. And when they make th- make it through, Tom, yeah, when well, they make it through, the is the bobblehead, and then the, yeah. you know, yeah. it stops. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I thought the the comedy, I think, for the most part of the, especially the second half of the movie, felt falls flat. But even in that action scene, there's there's a really funny line where the they see the monkey, and right before he. King Kong really starts going. One of the pilots goes, "Is that a monkey?" And it's just a <laughs> short, sweet line, and it's pretty funny. So even the action scene that that first encounter was so well made, absolutely. Yeah, and I, I like the some of the other monsters too. I, I you know, I was okay with them. I, I mean, I see, but you, I, I think my problem wasn't with the with the dangers of the place so much as. The lack of development with with the the main characters, they just didn't have the other two main characters didn't have very much to do, and so you're not really waiting for them to become new people, which is sort of the joy of movies. But I think all of those yeah. uh, kind of um, those were inventive little characters. You had the 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 giant spider who looked like bamboo, the bamboo leg spider. You had the 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 wood bug, <laughs> like a lot. You know, a lot of those were were inventive and fun. Um, the, the movie is very willing to to kill a lot of characters off too that we get to know uh you know the the two main characters survive presumably to spawn more monarch initiative people <laughs> you know we we need to keep the rich people you know the, the rich and famous actors alive so that they can continue on in, in some way um but the the you know the the going up against the monsters a lot of the monsters i thought were 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 creative a lot more though so than the godzilla movies which where i find the monsters sort of ugly and exhausting so i agree but i think it goes back to what nick was saying that the 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 monsters were creative but it was a cg fest and it's really unfair to the cg artists but it it just feels like oh that's easy i mean it's not and it's hard to make (laughs) it look good and they looked good but what what i mean we've already said this but what's charming about the 33 kong is wow they were able to do that in 33 mm-hmm. whereas the skull island felt like yes of course it, they can do this they now. can do better things with cgi of course but what it appears to us from the outside is that cgi is the same magic trick right they're they're pulling the, the rabbit out of the hat it's just a better and better rabbit while with right. earlier special effects and, and practical effects it's more of a magic trick you know, and what's why theater is so magical, because if you see a special effect on stage, you know, sometimes you know how you, how they do it, um, but it, it's you're really into how creatively it's done. Or if you don't know how you do it, it, it's really interesting that you got to see this in person. One of the franchises that I'd say we all enjoy, maybe if not every movie in it, that plays a lot around with older practical effects, believe it or not, is Star Wars. I really like when I'm watching a Star Wars film and I know that they're implementing practical effects, even though they could just CGI the whole board. And I'm not talking about the prequels where George Lucas just said, I'm going to use CGI for everything because I can now. The other movies have gone back to using more practice. Whether you like all the plots is another story, but they did a nice job of implementing that, even though they could have just CGI'd the whole thing. Yeah, we're, we're all a little exhausted by CGI, I think. It's time for Movie Rent. So one of the things I really liked about the Kong movies, I've been watching a lot of Kong movies, um, is it feels kind of like a Frankenstein movie. But one of the big differences is in Frankenstein, man commits a sin against God, right? They become a God to create a monster, and now they have to deal with the monster. In a Kong movie, man goes back to a nature, a pure nature, uh, nature i don't know um and 
they find something bigger, stronger than them, a monster. And now in most movies, they bring them back to society and they have to deal with it. Um, they didn't do that in Skull Island, but that, that was fine. Yet. Um, they didn't do so it yet. Didn't do it yet, right. Um, so, so there are some similarities between the Frankenstein and the Kong movies. And then I started thinking about Jurassic Park. And I was thinking, oh, this is a King Kong movie, right? People go to the island. There's the big wall they go through. They find the monsters. They have to deal with it. But it's also a Frankenstein movie because the man committed the sin of bringing back the dinosaurs from the dead. So Spielberg has made a Kong Frankenstein mm -hmm. movie. I don't know. I just enjoyed that. Which is a Frankenstein of itself, putting different parts together. Yep, yep. Yeah. It's a yep. Prometheus story, right? Yeah, the, that's you know Frankenstein is the modern Prometheus. It, it, it's in all these cases, uh, they they you know they repeat this through, you know in Jurassic Park a lot because nature finds a way. Nature uh, 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 <laughs> finds a way, and, <laughs> and um, you know we that that's you know what happens in Jurassic Park eventually is you cannot control nature, right? You cannot create life. You know Prometheus gets tied to the rock and his liver gets eaten out every day of his life, and that ends up what happens here is that they they go to the island, um, thinking that they know the terrain, and you know the what what's interesting is um, when you realize you don't know the terrain you're on. As an individual, that's the point where you can develop and be, become something more, right? You can you can grow and develop, you know, and and learn and become kind of die. Your old self dies away and become a new thing. But in terms of man, the the category human, once you enter the terrain you don't understand, in in this case, then you are forced to um, surrender your modernity. Right? You're forced to recognize that if I go further in this terrain, I am like Prometheus to the rock. I will be chained to that rock. And so the, the movie ends up becoming, you know, a warning. Like a lot of a lot of movies like this, a lot of sci-fi movies are warnings, ironically enough, against um, you know, against technology. And we saw a lot more of these in, in the Cold War. I mean, Planet of the Apes is like this. Planet of the Apes is a Cold War. Watch your ass. If you keep doing this, you're going to blow everything up. Right, that's what those those apes warn us about, and that's what the end of the movie is about. Um, you know, and and now that we're out of the Cold War and have been for some time, that that message I think resonates a little less because it's technology seems to be um, offering us so many peacetime awards as opposed to the dangers of the Cold War. But it seems to be what a lot of these stories, what these Prometheus stories are about. They're they're kind of a romantic error, and I think Kong is too a romantic error thing. Romantic romantic philosophy and, and poetry and art is about looking into into the sublime of nature and recognizing uh, that you only have this kind of um, emotional response to the thing that overwhelms you, not that you can understand it. And even if you want to put it into verse, the verse itself kind of runs away from you, even as you compose it. I'm shocked that you're when you're watching this film you can think of all that and i'm just thinking like where's kong i was also thinking there's a big gap between how the, how big of a gap ragnar uh, <laughs> uh, six you're trying to say there shouldn't be that big of a gap i, I yeah. wish there weren't you know i'm down here mm -hmm. in the gutter but we, we, do you really wish yeah. that do you really wish that i think kong looked great in his present glory let's be honest yeah I'd like to once again congratulate our winner of the week, KJ. Is this two wins back to back? Two in a row. Season two doesn't stand a chance. Two for season two? <laughs> two, two for season two. <laughs> I peaked. This is it. <laughs> Check out our website, TalkingPicturesTrivia.com, for more information about us and our episodes. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts as well as our YouTube channel. We are extremely grateful for any positive reviews as those help others like you find us. If you like what you hear, remember to like and subscribe to our show. What is your favorite Kong movie and why? Let's continue the conversation on our Twitter, at Talking Studios. Thanks again, Ragnar, for joining us today. Where can people find you? People can find me on Facebook at Ragnar Carlson for Keller Williams. People can find me at Thomas Lehman 15 on Twitter. And you can find me on Twitter at KJ1000.
I can also be found on Twitter at the nicknamed. Join us next time when we discuss Tom's recommendation from 1994, Bill's Folly. Will be a first watch for me. Should be a fun one. Talk to you then. Ding, 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 ding. But do you really wish that? Do you really wish that? I think Kong looked great in his present glory. Let's be yeah. honest. I mean, if we had, so it was like the photographer from, the cinematographer from Watchmen, right? Problem with Watchmen was a giant blue problem that kept swinging back and forth. <laughs> or solution. That's exactly the yeah. reference I was going to make. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. I was in, I saw that movie in like a, like a really raucous theater at like midnight <laughs> and people, People were just you for the whole movie you just felt everybody kind of awkwardly watching dr manhattan and eventually somebody like like because the movie's like 18 hours long like two hours in somebody just goes out loud are they just gonna show his the whole movie <laughs> <laughs> it's just everybody cracked up i like that they put it in there stay true uh i, I it, it's cinematic integrity and forth it's, it's, <laughs> you know. in the, it's in the comments it's it's Put it on the it's a little different in a graphic novel when you could just have a stationary, you know. I think yeah, it put when... graphic in graphic yeah. novel. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, when it, when it works like a metronome in real life, it's it's a little distracting. How does Doctor Manhattan keep time? Ah. <laughs> Hello. <laughs>